Saves everybody's favorite categories. Happy Kokomo Friday here on Fantasy Baseball today, June twelfth. Frank Stanfield, along with Pocket Aces, Adam Mazer, Scotty Dubs, Scott White, and C P T Chris Towers. Guys, I'm in a great mood today, and the main reason was I took out my trash, and I realized that summer is basically here. I don't know about you guys, but I am a big fan of the warm weather. Yeah. Well, so you like what? What does that have to do with your trash? Like, you have a calendar in the trash that had the start of summer? <laughs> no, or I, you just... I took the trash out and I realized that the weather was nice. There are days where I just don't go outside now because I just of the sort of figured, I figure that you lived in an apartment and you threw it down a chute. No, I live in a basement, so I have to bring it outside. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is nice out. <laughs> Welcome to the outside world. Uh, no. No. Chris, not a fan it's of the hot. summer. <laughs> I mean... I guess, okay, so this is the first time I'm actually experiencing a summer that will end eventually. So, like, maybe that novelty will help. But, you know, growing up in South Florida, 31 years, I'm a, I'm a you know, a larger person. I generate a lot of body heat uh, already. I'm hairy. Uh, and so the summer is just a disaster for me. It really, like, I'm just like a walking... I don't even know how to describe it in a way that won't really turn everyone off from the podcast, but needless to say, the summer months do not treat me well. And so maybe knowing that like by mid August and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, it'll start to cool down. And then it's like, Oh, well, okay. Yeah, that's fine. We've got August is much better in New York than Florida. Well, yeah. said Florida August is the, is hell. Like well, July is probably the only month in New York where it's like as bad as Florida because Florida doesn't really get hot. Listen, listen. As somebody who's only lived in South Florida thirteen years now, so not the thirty-one years you lived here, Chris, but but long enough that I would have gotten tired of it if I was going to get tired of it. I never want to go back. Well, I never want to go back to ever experiencing exactly. cold weather. Scott, you're, you're a skinny little thing. <laughs> you're all no, skin and bones and sinew. That's exactly. That's, that's how it's supposed to work. Scott. I've got you're absolutely like, right. No, like, uh, like, and, and I grew up in Georgia, so it never even got, I mean, it, you know, it gets down to freezing in the winter, but not, not for months at a time. It, it's still, it's, it's, Go, going back to visit family and experiencing it all over again, it felt a hundred times worse than I remembered it. I didn't mind it so much. Adam gave me a weird look when I said South Florida doesn't get that hot. That, <laughs> the, the, the relative temperature in South Florida during the summer months is actually very comparable to most of the East Coast. Where it gets extremely hot. Right, but it gets but, like, yeah. it gets like, like the, the average high in South Florida is usually like 89 to 90 degrees. The problem is it's, 8 million percent humidity yeah, and it's right. nine gross. months of 88 to 90 degrees. Just Whereas absolutely York, gross. You know, it gets to like 92 in the summer. It's humid. It stinks. No offense. You know, I live here now. It's just, you know, you got trash all over the sidewalks. It's kind of how this place works. Uh, and so that's pretty miserable. July is, is, I've been here in July several times. 
it's tough, but you know. All right, well, it's fine. we're not going to talk about weather in the summer for the entirety of the podcast today on the show. We're going to give you some sleepers in the steals and saves categories. Plus, we have a mini mailbag later on in the show. But first, I have a bold prediction for you guys. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. No. All right. Yeah. Adam's All right. not ready. All right. Adam's ready. We'll do it now. By this time, Monday, June 15th, I predict MLB will have a season announced. Boom goes the dynamite. That one's for you, Scott. Oh well, yeah, uh, that's that's, that's John, that was reported. John Heyman uh, said the time said is that who you're talking about? That's who reported it, Chris, or did you see it somewhere else? I, I think it was John Heyman. It might have been mm-hmm. someone else. I think I saw you quote tweet them. So yeah, yeah, I quote tweeted John Heyman, and he said likely if there's not an agreement in the next five days, it's likely that Rob Manfred would enforce the the approximately 50 game schedule so the wording there i mean i'm not sure how official that is i'm not sure if it's just john Heyman theorizing himself or if he's actually heard something uh but but yeah that's the that's the closest thing to a timeline i've seen so far so you know maybe not necessarily monday afternoon but early next week all right maybe not so bold i'll just frank I thought you were going to say you were excited at the top of the show because the Pokemon expansion is coming next week. Well, that too, but I wasn't going to really reveal my Pokemon fandom on the podcast. Just live it, own it, man. It's who you are. It's part of you. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But I don't think anyone wants to hear about Pokemon. I think they want to hear about steals, and they want to hear about saves. So let's jump in. The most fun categories of all time. Last year, 2,280 stolen bases were the lowest since... 1994. In 2019, you needed about 150 steals to finish first place in that category in a 12-team Roto League. That averages out to almost 11 steals per starting hitter. It's like 10.7. There were just eight players with 30-plus steals last season. There were 21 with 20 or more steals. Uh, That includes the likes of Gerard Dyson, Delino DeShields, Billy Hamilton, Manuel Margot, uh, likely players who were not in your lineup, uh, for reference, in 2018, there were three more players with 30 or more stolen bases. There were seven more with 20 or more steals. All right, Scott, kick us off here. Steals, we've talked all about them for the past, I don't know, six months, basically, as long as we've been prepping for the fantasy baseball season. We know that they're scarce. How are you attacking the category? And is it possible to find sleepers in this category anymore? Uh, it is, it is. Yeah, I, I think it is, but it's, it's not ones, it's not people you could call sleepers with a high degree of confidence, I would say, because who knows how things are going to continue to trend from here. I assume steals are going to continue to fall. Um, you know, you mentioned it was the lowest since 1994, 1994 was the strike shortened season, only 114 games long. So for a full-length season, uh, I'm not sure I could look this up quickly, but I would suspect it's probably the fewest stolen bases ever. And um, what we're seeing... That's in- why you're smarter than me, Scott, because I didn't even remember that there was a strike-shortened season. But I will look it up while you're talking. <laughs> about, a, about 114 games, 94. Yeah, yeah. so... So, yeah, uh, the way we're seeing people approach it in rotisserie leagues is is obviously the guys that you can depend on stealing bases, particularly if they do something, anything else, are going 
very early. It's, it's a category that needs to be addressed early uh, because the kind of people who could still contribute to it late, like that list you rattled off at the beginning, Frank, you really don't want any part of them based on how they're going to bring you down elsewhere. So like you're not going to find a guy who steal, who delivers like a 40 steal pace out of nowhere. If, if somebody is a stolen base sleeper, it's because they might eat, might eke out 20 in a full season uh, in a way that goes overlooked. Somebody like Nick Senzel or, or, or somebody like, uh, uh, I mean, I guess even somebody like Aristides Aquino, he was seven for seven with a little bit of time up. Maybe he could do something like that. And then, you know, that's 20 steel pays you're talking about in a full season, the way that could get, the, what that would translate to in a 50-game season or something much shorter than a full-length season. You're talking like somebody who, who gives you, what, five, six, seven steals. <laughs> that's, that's what you're looking at as a sleeper. And that, that could, you know, that, that makes for a wider range of possible players who could do that, but it, it also makes it even less predictable because it's likely the guys we were counting on giving stolen bases just go a couple weeks without steals. Uh, since it's not a high threshold, we're talking about having to be met over a full length season, and and then, and then you know where are you? So yeah, it's it's not it's not a category you want to fill fill late for sure. All right, I think I have the answer on the season that had the fewest stolen bases. Was nineteen seventy three a shortened season? No, but the league has added four teams, if not more. All right. Since then, I think expansion was sixty seven. Then was there another one between that and 94? No, there was 1973 was the lowest before 1994. 1981? How about that? That was a strike-shortened season, yes. All right, so 2019, no. basically, in the, in the modern day, has produced the lowest level of steals that we've seen uh, in fantasy baseball. And we talk about this a lot. When it comes to steals, I mean, they, they are not a correlated stat with anything else. I mean, they're an individual stat and uh, largely produced by motivation I mean it's hard to project steals it just comes down to uh, are managers going to allow their players to run uh, do do the guys want to run because I know that we know that there's a lot of players that are capable of stealing bases but this is just such an odd category for fantasy but uh, it is part of the traditional five by five and I don't think it's going away anytime soon so we've got to learn to kind of cope and adjust with where stolen bases are at right now and it shouldn't go away. It's a really difficult challenge, but it's... You're right. It's part of it, and it's frustrating, but could you imagine playing without steals? That's so weak. That's so... Like, eliminate tight end. No. Yeah, it's just... I agree. Draft the guys, it's basically draft the guys who hit the most home runs if you eliminate steals. That, that, yeah. that yeah. takes away a lot of the strategy of building a 5 by 5 team. And just 2019 had almost 200 fewer stolen bases than 2018. Since the league became a 30-team league, uh, it's by it's by far the lowest. You know, 2019 and 2018 are the first years below 2,500. But so. if the ball changes and they hit fewer home runs, then maybe we see a... It's not, it's not like they're going to be abundant. There's still going to be scarcity. Yeah. But maybe it goes back to like 2018 levels. Yeah, extra base hits take away from stolen base opportunities. Yeah. All right, so let's, let's look into some of those uh, potential steals sleepers here. Scott, I know that you've been 
writing articles all week long, cbsports.com, that have basically accompanied these podcasts. Um, so, I mean, who did you find when it comes to uh, stolen bases? Well, so like I said, it's it's more players who could maybe deliver a 20 steals pace over a full season than, than like a 30 or 40 steals pace. And if it is, if you can find somebody who could deliver that more closer to elite pace, then you're probably sacrificing a lot elsewhere. I'm thinking of guys like Malik Smith and Jared Dyson of the Pirates who should play close to every day for them. They would fit into that category. A guy like John Birdie also would fit into that category. I don't think he brings much to the table other than stolen bases, but I think he'll play a lot for the Marlins and... uh, you know, based on what he did in limited time last year and throughout the minor league career, he should run a lot. A guy like Garrett Hampson might fit into that category, but I do have more hope for upside from him as a hitter, specifically, especially in terms of like batting average and, and runs scored, depending where he bats in the Rockies lineup. Somebody like Lorenzo Kane, who's going 182nd overall, he could get back to more like a 25 30 steals pace after he stole, I think it was 18 last year. But in a, in a down year for, uh, a down year for him in terms of batting average getting on base and uh it doesn't seem like the skill set has actually diminished much there uh another sleeper who could maybe give you a lot of steals is nick madrigal but that's dependent on when he enters the white Sox lineup and how much they let him run historically they haven't been a team that have uh let some of their big minor league base dealers continue to do that in the majors and that's about it in terms of really impactful steals production from late rounders maybe byron buxton if he stays healthy though you know his his game there's enough power in his game that i'm not i'm not totally sure uh last year's half season pace would translate to a full season um but yeah then uh, after that you're looking at guys like i said nick senzel uh gene segura though he bounces back with a pace closer to what he was delivering before Gabe Kapler was his manager. Scott Kingery probably could give you that 20 steals pace. Kyle Tucker has a chance to for the Astros, depending on how much she plays. Will Myers. That's actually, Will Myers is actually, I think a good one. I don't expect a huge steals total from him, but he's just, he's just so far down in ADP. He's going 270th overall. And I don't think there's really any reason to worry about the playing time with the DH coming to the NL. And he's been a consistent 20 steal guy, you know, at least pacing out to, you know, 600 plate appearances basically throughout his career, even when things have gone poorly. Yep. Yep. So I think he's being overlooked for that. I mentioned Aquino, who might be for the same reason, just not no faith in the playing time. And even with the DH, it's not clear how much Aristides Aquino would play because there's also finding time for Jesse Winker and uh, Nick Senzel. So. That could remain an issue. Sam Hilliard's kind of in that same boat. I think he could be a pretty good steal source, but how much he's going to play? Dylan Carlson, kind of the same way. Uh, Is anybody yeah. like Kevin Newman? Yeah, I was going to bring him up. I think Kevin, not really. I think Kevin Newman is interesting. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, batting average and steals last year. He had a 28 steal season in the minors. Uh, he played like 130 games last year and had well, like 16 steals or something. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I, like, I it's it's not quite, it's not nothing sixteen, but well, but that's one hundred and thirty games, so he could definitely get to twenty, and he's going to potentially lead off or bat second in the Pirates lineup. 
He goes after the 200th pick. He's a little outside the top 200. I, I think it's very possible that he just has like a horrible year and doesn't hit well. But if you get a guy who does what he did last year, batted 308 with 16 steals, and he also hits toward the top of the order, he might be able to score 90 runs. Kevin Newman's worth a look. Yeah, I think there are other names uh, even beyond that. You know, first of all, there, there there are some higher like we can define the 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 question in a couple ways. And one way is higher end guys who are not sleepers but have some sleeper potential for stolen bases. And so I would say David Dahl, someone we talked about the other day, who said he wants to run more. Yohan Moncada is another guy who has talked about wanting to run more. And then the White Sox have talked about wanting him to run more. The biggest issue for him. Uh, you know, he's got like 74th percentile sprint speed on StatCast. The biggest issue for him is he's had these constant recurring hamstring injuries that he did work out this year trying to focus on becoming more flexible to avoid that. If that happens, you know, he was a 60 steal guy in the minors per 150 games. There's, you know, really 30 steal potential there, I think, fairly easily if he decides to do it. Um I'll also throw out then some lower end guys who need playing time, but could get to 25 to 30 steals if they get it. Someone like Ender Enciarte. You know, I'm not sure he's going to play all that regularly, but if he does, he's a stolen base threat for sure. Uh, Delina DeShields, another guy that Frank mentioned earlier in the season. I'm not sure he deserves to be an everyday player, but especially if you played in an, in an OBP league and he does play pretty regularly, uh, he could be a 30 steal pace guy who doesn't, kill you in on base percentage because he does draw walks fairly regularly. Um, Billy I, just throw, I just want to throw Kyle Tucker in there. Sorry. Yeah. He was he's, a 30 steel pace guy. And David Dahl are the, are the two. I love drafting them. Love drafting both of them. Yeah. Ender and Ciarte is a good call. We haven't really talked much about him and mm-hmm. we've mentioned Austin Riley being a huge beneficiary of the universal DH, but I think those two kind of go hand in hand because if Austin Riley can play DH and that means Ender Inciarte can play in the outfield. So I think that that's a good call and a name that we haven't really uh, brought up here. I have some deeper names that I'll just kind of like throw out there and you know, you guys can, I'll throw the name. You could say whether or not you're interested or not. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer. Uh, mildly. Yeah. There's really just, not. there's so many guys in Tampa Bay. Colton Wong. Hard to see him playing every day. And, and, and not Is enough stolen base upside to justify the hitting downside. But he's like one of the best center fielders in baseball. So wouldn't he be someone that actually would play close to every day, if not every day? I think the Maybe. plan is for him and Margot to split. Yeah, they did trade for Emmanuel Margot. No. All right, then, then no. <laughs> yeah, 19 <laughs> no. steals for Kiermaier last year. He's hovered between 15 and 20. Um the past couple of seasons, and even in some shortened seasons too, sixteen and ninety-eight have, games. Like, you've got to have deep lineups to even think about players like this. Because they, oh yeah, these are deeper they, names. They hit so, but it's not just like it's. You've got to start a lot of players because yeah. they're such such bad hitters. And maybe Kiermaier. You could make a case well, that Kiermaier, when he's healthy, is actually a decent hitter. But the liner DeShields is a bad hitter. I, I'm pretty um, sure I didn't see Kiermaier or DeShields drafted for a starting spot in any of my fifteen team five outfielder leagues. Like yeah, maybe, would, maybe you, on the bench, but you know, not as a starter. I will say one name that Frank said, who's not a horrible hitter is Colton Wong. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have the power that we kind of hoped he would grow into, but he's hit 285 two of the last three seasons. He stole 24 bases. The stolen bases were 
uh, kind of an outlier for him. But, you know, I put together this tool that I'm going to try to find a way to put out for people. I'm not sure exactly how yet, but basically you put, you can search for a player and it'll show you kind of their projected range of outcomes. And I had initially talked about doing it just for batting average, but I did kind of figure out a way to do it for every stat. And for Colton Wong, you know, his range of outcomes for batting average and stolen bases, even in a 50 game season, you know, because he does draw walks, he could be a 10 steal guy in a, in a 50 game season. If, you know, things go right for him. Yeah. I like Wong for this. He's actually one of the 10 I mentioned in the column. I limit myself to only 10 and, and Wong is one of them. I mean, 24 out of 28 last year. And you mentioned he didn't develop the power. We hoped he would. It, it looks like he finally, determined last year that he doesn't need to be a power hitter uh the way his batted ball profile changed over the course of the season and he hit like 350 in the second half i mean obviously i don't expect him to do that over a full season but it was just it it was a committing to it seemed like he was committing to being a certain type of player that might end up being more appropriate for his skill set and could make him more of a fantasy asset because of it yeah, he he did though. Colton Wong stole 21 bases in 356 games in the three seasons before 2019. This is why it's tough, as you said, Frank. It's a tough stat to project, and it makes you wonder if you really should be taking Trey Turner seventh overall or something like that. I mean, I I'm in on that, but if he doesn't steal bases, if he he's gonna steal some bases, but if he's not a great base stealer. How can you justify taking him over Freddie Freeman, Nolan Arenado, like these guys who are just much, much better hitters? Because in terms of just like OPS, he's going to be one of the worst first-round hitters, if not the worst first-round hitter, Trey Turner. So you know, I, I'll do it, but there's definitely some risk there because if he doesn't... And they, they were talking about batting him third, potentially. Yeah, that's not going to happen, though. The one thing he does have going for him, you know, I think as spring training went on, they they seemed pretty much certain that he was going to be moving, you know, staying in the leadoff spot. So I think that concern, because his stolen bases have been very dependent on where he hit in the lineup, but it does sound like he's going to be hitting leadoff. And as long as that's the case, I I still expect, you know, maybe the 70s steel pace that we once dreamed of is probably gone, but I would still think like a 40 steel pace. Yeah, which is more bad news for Victor Robles because that likely pushes him down the lineup. I'd have to imagine Adam Eaton uh, batting second there for the Washington Nationals. I'll just throw out a few deep names quickly. Gerard Dyson, we've already mentioned he's going to play for the Pirates uh, as long as he's on the roster. I don't know if there's going to be a trade deadline. Harrison Bader, someone who ranks very highly in sprint speed. Miles Straw. If he just gets the opportunity, I think he is one of the fastest players in baseball. Tim LaCastro actually did rank number one in sprint speed last year. Uh, And then Randy Arozarena for the Tampa Bay Rays and Jorge Mateo, former Yankee great, Adam. I got a few more. Uh Mauricio Dubon. He was a a 20 to 30 steal guy in the minors. Um, Not great efficiency. And last year that pace slowed. So we'll see if you know, that part of his game carries over, but, uh, you know, should hit enough, you know, at least to stay in the lineup for the Giants. And uh, Jose Peraza, if he plays second base every day for the for the Red Sox, um, could have an opportunity to be a contributor in batting average runs and stolen bases like he was two years ago. 
Yeah, that's an interesting call there. I like that one on Jose Peraza. Let's move on to saves here. Like stolen bases, I mean, the landscape for saves has just completely changed. Uh, we've referenced this stat before. I know you have spe- specifically, Chris, from Alex Fast of Pitcher List, but he points out that 204 different pitchers racked up a save last season, which is by far the most over the past five years. And I didn't, I didn't look further than five years. That's what his tweet had, but it might be the most ever. Uh, so just, you're, there's no, just tr- like the, the idea of like one true closer is just kind of falling by the wayside. I disagree. I Tell me why. I think that um, that whole thing about teams going committee is a little overrated. Now, I, I don't think we can say it's falling by the wayside. I definitely feel like there are more committees, but I do honestly think that most managers want to get one guy in that role. Last year, Craig Kimbrell was bad. Ken Lee Jansen was bad. Uh, Aroldis Chapman was good, but did he get hurt? I don't remember. Like, like the, the studs, they didn't rack up high saves totals. We had Kirby Yates lead baseball with 41 saves. The lowest save total for, I, I think Chris looked it up. It was like it was a non-strike 80, season since 84. I think. 84. Yeah. So the, the lowest amount of saves to lead baseball. But, um, you know, I still think that teams want to find one guy. I really do think that you'll find like the Rays are probably going to spread it around a little bit, which is why when you get into sleepers, Jose Alvarado is my favorite. Um, but I, I don't really think we're getting too far away from just like every team that has a good closer uses that good closer. Yeah, we're certainly not getting there fast. We've, I think we have, we're a little more that direction than we used to be. And, and that stat, Frank gave, bears it out. But by the end of last season, which teams were going with the closing committee? Even the Rays weren't. Even the Rays were going to Emilio Pagan consistently. I think the Nationals were because of Sean Doolittle's health concerns. Uh, but there weren't many teams that by the end of last season were still doing the committee thing. So I think I mean, good teams will will I, that's probably like if you can find that guy, teams are likely to stick with him. Even a yeah. team like the Athletics, who I want to say I think the stat is they haven't had the same person lead their team in saves in consecutive years since uh, Grant Balfour. Grant Balfour, like eight years ago, I think. And but even they tend to stick with a closer once one emerges. They just do not have a long leash for the guys who enter the season. And so I, I think, you know, it, it depends on the team. It depends on the closer. I think the Cubs had nine different players. Yeah. Cubs had nine different players get a save last season. Like that's, that's crazy. That's not that's, normal, yeah. but they were waiting. Oh, no. They were trying to find a closer. They, they didn't find one until they, they paid signed Kimbrell. They paid a lot of money to sign yeah. Craig Kimbrell. So right. you would imagine that that's not going to be a team that if Kimbrell is effective, now, I think you can look at the Mets and say the same thing. If Edwin Diaz is effective, or if he's not effective, but Dylan Batances comes back from his injury at full strength, they're, those are going to be teams that do have one closer, presumably. It's just a question of whether those guys can be effective. So, yeah, the, Frank, I, you're on to something. I'm sorry. I, like, I didn't mean to make it seem like what you were saying was completely wrong. No, no, no. I just, I do believe that teams want to find, like, like even the Phillies, you know, with the Kapler, I, I think that he tried to make Hector Neris the closer, you know, eventually. No, David no, 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 Robertson no. got Don't hurt. give Gabe Kapler the benefit no, of the doubt, he, he tried. I, he tried. I can't try not him. to make. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no it was like opening Neris day. Got, opening was, day Neris last year. 
I remember it. Opening day, 2018. Everybody thought Hector Neris was the closer. Gabe Kapler comes out. It's like the first day. He throws someone completely out of... It was like Pat Neshek or something. Like, he did. He tried <laughs> okay, to fine. get way too cute right. with it when it came to like Gabe Kapler. He right. tried to get the committee. Yes. And then had exactly to eventually right. be like, okay, Neris is the only one who can and, really and, do this. And that's the thing, is that it requires right. an incredibly patient hand to really buy into a committee. Because it's one of those things... This happens in any sport when you're talking about, like, trying to do something different. And even now in 2020, when teams have been going with committees for, you know, 20 years or more, and you know, the advanced analytics say that you shouldn't just save your best pitcher for the save situation. Even now, knowing that and having that become a mainstream idea, you still have to be willing to take a lot of heat. If you use your best reliever in the eighth and your second best reliever blows it in the ninth, that's something that you're going to take a lot of, of criticism for. And, you have to have the, the faith from your front office and a willingness to take that heat. And what we see is typically managers will eventually skew towards one guy. All right, Scott. So with all of that being said, how does one identify? I, I guess it's not really a sleeper. Like no one's sleeping on closer candidates or anyone that can rack up saves. We all know all the bullpens at this point. So I guess it's just... You know, what is your process for finding late round relievers that could potentially pick up saves throughout the course of the season? Yeah, I changed my standard for what I was calling a sleeper for this category. It had been anyone drafted 160 and beyond, according to ADP, but that's too many people that are we expect to fill the closer role. So, like, can you call Jose Leclerc a save sleeper? Can you call Keone yeah. Kella? a save sleeper. They're their team's intended closers. I, yeah. I guess there's an argument to be made that they'll get more than people are expecting, but no, that's not, that's not the way I wanted to go about it. So I just, I, I I'm thinking of guys who either aren't already in line for the closer role, or if they are, nobody's taking their candidacy that seriously. That's that those. So they tend to get, you know, they tend to go really late in drafts. Um, so, you know, I, I look to guys like, uh, both of the Braves, I think, could be called safe sleepers. Will Smith, because he doesn't have the role yet, and Mark Melanson, because he's actually getting drafted later than Will Smith. Which seems silly. Would you ever draft yeah. them both together, Scott? Like handcuffing relievers? I would. For the Braves, it could work, because they're a great team. Honestly, I was torn on whether to call Will Smith a sleeper. Because he is clearly one of the the non-closers with the best chance of becoming a closer, but he's going 167th overall on average. So it's almost like he has more bust potential than sleeper potential at that rate. But but I mean, he should be a good reliever, even if he isn't a closer. So in leagues where that matters, I think maybe it makes the most sense. But the Rockies are kind of the same way, where Scott Oberg is going ahead of Wade Davis, I think probably more justifiably. But still, I, I mean... Wade Davis could bounce back and be a steady source of saves for that team. So I have them both on my closer sleepers list. I have Corey Knebel, who we've talked about a lot lately. I'm actually leaning to Seth Lugo in the Mets bullpen as the as the fallback option for Edwin Diaz. I know Chris mentioned Dylan Patances earlier. Um, and Adam mentioned Jose Alvarado for the Rays. I'm actually going with Diego Castillo as the guy who could sneakily lead, lead that team in saves. So those are some of the guys yeah. I'm looking at. I, I think Alvarado is... Well, I think he's better, but 
you know, he so he got off to a, a, a good start. And then he had family issues. He had to go back to Venezuela. His mother was ill. His parents now live with him. This was research I did a few months ago, so I hope it's still true. His parents now live with him. Um, when he came back last year, this is Jose Alvarado for the race. He was out of shape. He dealt with an oblique injury. He had elbow inflammation. He was, you know, he was bad last year, um, at least once the family stuff started and then coming back out of shape. But before that, 239 ERA in 2018, he was great in 2018. Yes, Diego Castillo could definitely uh, factor in there as well. And then, of course, you have Nick Anderson, who's the favorite. But uh, I, I think I feel like Alvarado was really on the rise, uh, you know, kind of like this new elite reliever. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I do draft him a lot because the Rays are one team where I think all three of those guys are going to have some saves. And I think Alvarado is good enough to, to own just to get your ratios down. Chris, what do you think? Do you have any, do you target maybe relievers uh, that are not the closer yet that are on teams with shaky situations who you know are good? Like James Karinchak comes to mind for me. Kevin Ginkle comes to mind from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Is that what you're looking for in a sleeper? Or do you just try to maybe gobble up some of these committee guys like Matt McGill or Yoshi Hirano from the Seattle Mariners? What do you think? There are other guys who aren't necessarily in um, committees who could be worth targeting as well. So it's it's really a combination of all three. I'll, I'll go after the high upside setup man if it makes sense for my roster. But sometimes I'll go after Brandon Kinsler. Yeah, who might get the saves for the Marlins and who you know might be pretty good. I'll go after. Homer. I, I'm glad I, you mentioned Kinsler because he's actually on my my list of ten here too. Just because it seems like nobody wants him. Yeah, uh, I'll throw out Hunter Harvey, who I'm starting to dr- target in a lot of our drafts because you know he's got closer stuff. You know, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. It, it seems like the the chances of him becoming a starter are long gone, and so. He was mentioned as someone who could be in the in that closer's role, and he could be very good, uh, which is not something you can really say necessarily about anybody else in that Orioles bullpen. Um, I don't know if Sean Doolittle counts. You know, he's 189th overall. I think he's better than that ranking. He's someone I like drafting a lot this year. Um, injuries are always a concern, but when he's healthy, I think he's very good. Better chance of holding up this year, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a short season, (laughs) so you would hope so. Um, I do like taking Corey Knable late in drafts now. And here's a weird one. Well, uh, Blake Trinan is another one who was an elite closer two years ago. If something happens to Kenley Jansen, he figures to be the closer there. A weird one that I just thought about, who I like as both a sleeper reliever and starter, is Freddie Peralta. Because they're, it sounds like they're going to give him a chance in the rotation one more time. He's working on adding, I believe, a, a curveball to his repertoire. Because right now he's basically, basically a fastball pitcher uh, with a show me slider. You know, if he can become a a three pitch starter, I think there's a ton of potential there. But it also wouldn't surprise me if he ended up in the bullpen and turned into an elite bullpen arm. And if you know Corey Knable doesn't work out. And they do want to use Josh Hader more flexibly. Freddie Peralta seems like the kind of guy who could profile as a very good late inning reliever. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Brewers. I mean, Tap Tap AMC probably not too happy over there when you bring up uh, Corey Knable. But no, see, see, that's the AMC part of it. 
that's the and more closers because more Snap closers. AMC builds in <laughs> the what if Josh Hader loses the closers role thing because he's still a super valuable player. By the way, this is a relevant thing that to bring up. Tap Tap AMC, two aces plus Hader and Paxton and more closers. Um, Tap Tap AMC is bad for steals. And the best format for this strategy is an auction. In a Obviously, it's not a point six strategy. But in a Roto League, you're giving up steals with your first two picks because you're picking two of the top six starting pitchers. I also don't know how it's going to work in a shortened season because the goal is you get Max Scherzer and you get Walker Bueller and you have two guys who have like 250 or more strikeouts and they're just so much better than almost every other pitcher. Shortened season, maybe it doesn't really help as much. I don't know. But you do, this is a bad strategy for steals, I think, because um, if you go with two pitchers early, you, like if your, third, if your fourth round pick is Adalberto Mondesi or something, that means one of your first four players is like a really good hitter. And that is really risky. So I just want to throw that out there that you're probably committing to like trying to finish in the middle of the pack and steals and you're going with the David Dahl, Kyle Tucker, Yoan Moncada strategy, which is fine. But just just want to throw that out there as we have a I'm sorry to go back to steals, but since there, this is a steals saves show, you know, there's one other name we have to mention that I don't think we have. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't mentioned Jordan Hicks, right? We have not. He was. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery. The assumption at this point is he will be ready for opening day, correct? I have not seen that. The last report I saw was in mid-May, and they were saying there's a good chance he's able to make a significant contribution this year. But July would be 13 months removed from Tommy John surgery, so it would be it would be aggressive. I, I actually thought about him when putting together the column uh, and I actually ended up putting Giovanni Gallegos in it just because I feel like the upside isn't getting its due according to ADP pair. Because sure. uh, I I feel like Gallegos would have to be bad to allow Jordan Hicks the time to prove he's still healthy and, and dominant and able to step into the role. That's Although Gallegos isn't confirmed to be the closer now. That's true. Um, yep. But Jordan Hicks was not that good as a rookie. Uh, he, but he is incredibly hard to square up because he throws so hard. And in 2019, you know, we only saw him for 28.2 innings, but strikeout rate was up, swinging strike rate was up, walk rate was down. He was starting to look, he was a thrower as a rookie. He started to look more like a pitcher before the injury. So, you know, there's certainly elite closer potential there. The last two names that I'll mention are from the White Sox, from the same team, Aaron Bummer and Steve Ciszek. I just do not trust Alex Colome. Uh, I, I trust him about as far as I could throw Why? him. And Why, if, though? If you it's see me, like... I'm not throwing Alex <laughs> Colome very far. I don't get that, though. Why does nobody like really trust Alex Colome? I feel like he's been a pretty good reliever. He's not good. He, yeah, he just... Um... <laughs> he walks a lot. Done. He doesn't he get a lot of strikeouts. Done. Yeah, he, he does continue to get the job done against all odds. You know, it reminds me of a guy named Reniel Pinto for the Marlins, who was like their <laughs> shutdown reliever for a couple of years, but he wasn't actually good. He just kept getting good results and eventually it imploded. And he, and obviously there are other people I could have said instead of Reniel Pinto that you might've heard of, but <laughs> that's where my mind went. Speaking yeah. of the Marlins though, one other name I will mention was a guy who was, closing games at the end of the season for them last year, 
Jose Urania, who will likely be in the rotation to start the season, but I think he's got a very, very short leash as a starter. They've got guys they could call up. Uh, if he does struggle out of the gates, I think he can be a very effective late-inning reliever. They, there's, there was also some talk about Brad Boxberger looking strong yeah. in spring training for the Marlins and him having some closer experience, but it just seemed like Dan, Don Mattingly was leaning so much to Kinsler that it would take a lot to change his mind. But that's you know kind of a related point. If we're operating under the assumption the season will be short, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm not hopeful it's going to be any longer than 50 games or so at this point. Um, like how quickly would a guy have to lose his job for his replacement to be able to to actually make a fantasy impact? It's it's going to be such a it's going to be time timeline wise. You're really going to be threading the needle there. So yeah. we're still going to chase it though. I, I know, I know. Yeah, it's we'll just. It's not it, as viable of a strategy as it feels like it will it would normally be. It makes it potentially less viable to target the backup, the the setup men in your drafts with the hopes that they'll That's get the true. job because right. That's true. You know, it usually, you know, maybe we'll see a closer lose their job after a week, but usually we're talking a couple of weeks um at the minimum before we really start to see a lot of turnover. I will say, I think that the leashes are going to be shorter because in a shortened season, I mean, you can't really afford to have someone consistently blowing saves and losing games at the back end of the bullpen. So I'll just throw that point in there. We're going yeah. to take a... Anything oh, wait, else? Wait, before you go to break. What do you got? I've got a trivia question. I'll let people think about it. During the break, I found a team that has gone as long as the Oakland A's without having the same player lead the team in saves two years in a row. There are probably more, but there was one team that came to mind, so I went back and looked. Same exact, like 2012-13, I believe, back-to-back uh, -back years where the same player led the team in saves. The A's with Grant Balfour, and who's the other team? We'll tell you after the break. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, we're back here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The professional broadcaster that he is, Adam Azer, left us with a tease before the break. Adam what do you got? I, well, since I speculate there are multiple teams, I'm going to narrow it down and tell you it's another American League West team. Oh, I, think, I think Scott got it then. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say the Mariners. 
It could be. I'm going to check the Mariners now. But the the one I got, it's the Rangers. Joe Nathan. Yeah. Okay. And the Rangers every year, every year, the guy loses the job. You know, it's just like they're they're very they're they're tough. I well, said that during is, the break. So I'm I'm excited. And an important lesson is, you know, you have the Rangers are a good example. They've had a couple of guys who, you know, Jose Leclerc had that one season where he was finally able to throw strikes and looked like an elite closer. Uh, and then, you know, turned back into a pumpkin. Sam Dyson had that one year where he was really good. Uh, these guys who have the one pop year and the, the athletics seem to have a different guy every single year who looks like an elite closer. Oh, but Scott, uh, good call. The Mariners, you got to go all the way back to 2018 when they had Edwin Diaz. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I forgot about the Edwin Diaz era. <laughs> yeah, 17 and 18, he led the team in saves. Oh, well, yeah, my, my first thought was the Phillies, and I forgot about the Jonathan Papelbon era, which goes back oh. to 2015. Oh, Speaking yeah. of the Rangers, don't forget about Demarcus Evans, a deep, deep sleeper. Let's answer some questions. A mini mailbag here, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Let's try and do this a little bit of a rapid fire style because, as usual, I didn't leave myself enough time here. This one comes from Garrett. If there is a season in 2020, what are your opinions on keepers? For example, if a person is allowed to keep a player for X amount of years, should the shortened season count towards a year as a keeper? Or should this year not count since it won't be a full season of baseball? It counts. Let's move it counts. on. It's a yeah, year. It's, oh, really? it counts. I thought this was it a counts, great question. It counts for MLB. It counts for your fantasy team. It's a trash question. Are you, are you awarding a partial championship? No. Stample. All righty. <laughs> Next one's from Greg. I am in a 12-team AL only 5x5 five five with OBP. Roto, auction, Contract league. Wow, that's a mouthful. $260 auction budget. The auction has not happened yet. The roster construction in this league. One catcher, one first baseman, one second baseman, third baseman, shortstop, three outfielders, two utilities, and then you have two starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, and just four additional pitchers. It's, it's a Yo, Yahoo roster. It's a Yahoo roster. Yeah. Here's the I situation. recognize it anywhere. Going into the auction, he needs seven players with a total of $77 left. His positions of need, he needs two relief pitchers, he needs two pitchers, he needs a third baseman, or first baseman, I guess, corner, corner infielder, uh, and a utility. His question is, should he trade a $26 Blake Snell for a $6 Liam Hendricks? The prices increase $5 each season. That would give him $97 for the seven spots in the auction that he needs. So it frees up some money, and for reference, his other pitchers are Tyler Glass now, Jesus Lazardo, Lance McCullers, Michael Kopech, and Nate Pearson. In an AL only, oh, those man. pitchers are not bad. They're not. There's a ton of upside there. That could yeah. easily be the best pitching staff in, in the league. He could also need four new pitchers by the fourth week of the season. So <laughs> yeah. uh, It's a lot of guys with a lot of potential and a lot of injury risk. Um, the amount like of inflation does too. The, the amount of inflation that's going to happen here in an AL only league you know, so the player pool spread then 12 team AL only league. I mean, it's the, the prices are going to be so inflated in the auction. I'm not sure that $20 is going to buy you much. And then you think about next year, who are you more likely to keep a $31 Blake Snell or $11 Liam Hendricks? Well, seeing the way athletics closers have gone and considering Hendricks career trajectory, I think much more likely the $31 Snell. So I, I would definitely not do this. All right. Scott's keeping Snell. Anything else? You agree, Chris? You're keeping Snell, Adam. Uh, yeah, I, I keep Snell. 
Keep Snell. All right, Dan, this one comes from Dan in Richmond. Dear Bethlehem Shoals, Brown Recluse Esquire, Big Baby Belafonte, and Dr. Lawyer Indian Chief. Chris, this is all you. Of course, this is the, the founding crew of the, the Free Darko Collective, the basketball blog from the early aughts who uh, you know, coined the term, what was it? I can't think of it now. You're the expert here. <laughs> I know. I, I, I just completely lost the term. My brain doesn't work quite like it's supposed to. The free Darko? Something fandom. I said it the other day. Now I can't remember. This is really Liberated fandom? Liberated, Liberated fandom. fandom. That, fi- that seems like a more basketball uh, Go. Uh, I Seriously, if you're a basketball fan, go find the two free Darko books. Incredible illustrations. Really great writing. The macro phenomenal uh, style guide especially has some of my favorite uh, sports art. I've got one of their posters. Highly recommend Free Darko. If the season is 50 games and you are in a keeper or dynasty league, is ignoring the small sample size farce of an extremely truncated season and planning for future seasons something you would consider? And is it fair play? Yeah, it's fair play. Oh, it's like selling off your players, punting, and. Yeah, I well, mean, future, I think as long not? as you pay attention throughout the course of the season, you're not just completely ignoring it and. You know, keeping up with the integrity of the league, why not? Right. Why yeah, not play out the season? If you could trade for young guys who you think have long-term potential, you could still compete this year because that small sample size is going to mean that, you know, anyone who has upside could put together a, a huge 50-game season. Yeah, I have no problem looking towards the future. Anything from you, Scott? Um, no, I mean, I... I not really. <laughs> Let's move on. Alrighty. This next one's from Jason in Brooklyn. Uh, I appreciate you, Jason, but I had to spark note this bad boy because this was about an essay on Aristides Aquino. Dear Eric, Paul, Billy, and Glenn. Glenn with two N's, if that helps. Oh. Is that Glenn Allen Hill or something? I have no idea. I tried to Google this. I found nothing. We'll come back to it. I'm a huge fan of the pod. Love you guys. But as a diehard Reds fan, I feel obligated to warn you against pushing Aristides Aquino on people, even as a late-round power source or a sleeper. Chris said on the Tuesday pod that Aquino might have an everyday role with the universal DH, and I've heard this speculation before. I can tell you that there is an absolute 0% chance that Aquino plays every day, even with the DH, unless the Reds have significant injuries. Aquino had a historic August in terms of hitting home runs when he came up last year, but in September, he got figured out like Pedro Serrano. Shout out to Major League. Uh, Furthermore, vying for the four slots, three outfielders plus a DH. The Reds have Nick Castellanos. They have Nick Senzel, Shogo Akiyama, Jesse Winker, and Philip Irvin to go along with Aristides Aquino. So I I mentioned that Aquino, just earlier in the show, he might not be an everyday player even with the DH because Castillo, Senzel, Akiyama, Winker, probably all ahead of him in the packing order. Though I imagine there would be some amount of platooning going on there. I don't know why Irvin would get preferential treatment over Aquino. I also don't think it makes sense to just write Aquino off because he finished poorly. I mean, there's there's an amount of adjusting and adjusting back that happens anytime any player breaks into the big leagues. I don't think Aquino's power potential was fake. He hit 47 home runs between the majors and minors last year. I don't think they're just going to cast him out into the wild. Um, 
so is there a question here or was he just was he just uh, explaining to us his take of the Reds outfield situation. By was, the way, I'm assuming that Eric, Paul, Billy, and Glenn are Reds outfielders. Eric Davis, Paul O'Neill, Billy, Hamilton, and I'm not sure who Glenn is. Well, it's not Glenn Allen Hill. I knew there was something strange about Glenn Allen Hill's name, and that is Glenn yeah. Allen is one word, not two errors. <laughs> there is no question attached here. It was basically his commentary on Aristides Sakino. Anybody else have anything here? No, they, they're, they're deep, and you've got a couple guys who are going to sit against lefties. In Akiyama and Winker, right? I presume Winker will. I'm not sure about it. Akiyama might have if it was just an eight-man lineup, but I think there's a okay. pretty good chance he becomes an everyday player. But I, I think other than Castellanos, you shouldn't count on any of those guys for every day at bats, and it'll be somewhat tied to performance. This next one's from Ross. I'm going to keep... Glenn Braggs? Glenn... Oh, he, oh, he's so full of himself. He was a yeah, that Glenn Braggs, an early late '80s, early '90s outfielder for the Reds who was on a World Series team. Does he have two ends in his name? Yeah. All right, he might be the guy. That's what we'll go with. Glenn Braggs from Ross. I'm in a keeper league that is currently allowing transactions and trading. If there is no baseball season this year, are there any players that I should pick up now that would make an impact for next season? Waiver claims are $1. Uh, to keep a batter, it's you add $5, and it's you add $3 for starting pitchers. So if you add Wander Franco, it's $6 next year. It is a 12-team head-to-head points league. I will just add, even if there is no baseball this year, I think there's going to be baseball. Uh, I'm not sure that that will speed up the ETA for any prospects, if that's what Ross is thinking. No, but I think he's, he's talking about guys who would be major league ready by 2021. Yeah. Anyway, like I think the expectation is Wander Franco is going to be major league ready by 2021. If he's not already. Um, The thing is how many guys with no major league experience would you think are worth $6 next year in a, in a mixed league? Yeah. I like maybe Wander Franco might end up going for that. If, if he makes the opening day roster in 2021, Uh, I think it's easier for starters. When you look at guys like Nate Pearson, Guys like Michael Kopech, Mackenzie Gore, Mackenzie Gore, um, Sixto Sanchez, maybe AJ Puck if he qualifies, if he's not on a roster already. You could see Spencer Howard. You could see those guys being $4 players in 2021 uh, on draft day. What about, and maybe since it's a keeper league, they're already taken, but Tommy John recoveries. I don't know that this was the gist of his question, but Luis Severino, Noah Syndergaard, Chris Sale. I'd put Jamison Tyone in there considering it's a head-to-head points league. I mean, pitchers, a pitcher of any stature is going to be valuable in that format. So uh, don't forget about those guys. Yeah, if if they're available and you can get them for $4 for 2021, that actually does make a lot of sense. This next one's from Tyler. Hey, guys. My yearly league with my buddies is normally a 10-team head-to-head categories league. Uh, Due to the shortened season, we decided to give Roto a try. So it's 5 by 5 with OBP instead of batting average. In a shortened season, how do you guys feel about not targeting a top 15 pitcher, but targeting pitchers such as Charlie Morton, Morton, Patrick Corbin, Tyler Glasnow, Jesus Lazardo, Zach Gallen, Kenta Maeda, James Paxton, Lance McCullers. If I ended up using my top four to five picks on hitters, would I be okay with, let's say, Patrick Corbin as my SP1, uh, or am I playing with fire waiting so long before drafting a pitcher? Remember, it's a 10-team league. 
Hydrocarbon never goes in the fifth round in any of the drafts I do, at least. In um, a 10-teamer, he might last to the early fifth, I guess. This is the seventh round. 63rd overall in a 10-teamer. Yeah, I mean, look. Charlie Morton and, and Patrick Corbin, I think we'd feel great about them, right, Chris? Like, they're... Yeah, I'm... I'm we love them. More than... And Scott has said he's more than happy with those guys as the number one starting pitcher, if I'm remembering correctly, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I'm so, talking about getting both of them, you know? Yeah, no, if you could get those two guys... If you could get those two guys in the round in the fourth and fifth round, that's great. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, they're usually going in the the th- maybe the late second for Corbin in some of our twelve teams, and then you know Morton probably more like the fourth round in, in twelve teams. But yeah, I'd, I'd be great with both of those two guys as my top starting pitchers. Yeah, but then after that, like those Morton Glass now, Morton Corbin Glass now. Okay, if if you have two of those three, that's great. If you don't, and you have one of them, and then you have like Lazardo, Gallon, Maeda, McCullers, Paxton. I like Paxton, but you better like put it this way: the list he gave, you really should try to get two of those top three more than I Corbin mean, Glass now. Yeah, but man, Morton, Lazardo, Gallon, Maeda, Paxton. I'd be okay with that as my rotation. I love Not targeting me. Glass now in the shortened season. We talked about this yesterday. I mean, he can he can be a top five pitcher. In yeah, a fifty yeah. game season, two of those top three, Morton Corbin Glass now. But if you only have one, and then it, that, I don't know, it's a little risky. For no, me. I agree I, with like, that. Uh, you don't want like, Lozardo as your SP two. That's what it comes that's down what to. I'm yeah, it it could like it's more likely to work out in a shortened season though than it would in a longer season. You're kind of leaning into the volatility that's going to happen when these guys are making only nine, ten, eleven starts, which you know. Bad pitchers could be really good for that stretch. Good pitchers could be really bad for that stretch. And uh, they don't have enough time to correct it, obviously. But it's you still have to think in terms of a pitcher's going to perform at the level you think he's going. Like you, you, you're still, you're still it's, it's more of a probability uh, measure, I guess, targeting a high-end pitcher than a real assurance thing. If if you if you get what I'm saying, like but gen, generally speaking, I don't know the answer, but I don't think like, the question is: Are you changing your pitching strategy based on a 50 to 60 to game game season or even 80 games? I am. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I am. I think I'm just going to draft like I was planning on drafting. All right. So you are Frank. Yes. Okay. And, what are you doing differently? So I've mentioned this before. I, I'm looking to fade the aces. I just think that there's so many weird things that are going to happen. It comes down to Pitchers who are going to have the best matchups, guys who are going to just get on a roll early on in the season. I looked this up. Last year around the 50-game mark, the only elite starting pitcher or high-end starting pitcher who was who ranked in the top 20 in ERA was Justin Verlander. Of all the elite starting here's pitchers. I, here's where I land on this because I, I don't doubt that's true, uh, especially since it seemed like there were a lot of high-end pitchers who got off to bad starts last year. You still the winner of your league is still going to have good pitching. He may get lucky with the pitchers he winds up with. He may be the guy who had Zach Davies for the first 50 games last year, and, and he wins because of that. But you're, 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 you're banking on getting lucky with your pitchers if you're, if you're, if you're forfeiting the high-end guys to somebody else. And I, I just don't... It may work out, but do you, do you really deserve the win if it does work out? And like, are you really improving your odds of winning by doing that? I don't, and, think, I don't think either of those is. And I would also say, like, maybe after those first 50 games, you know, that those pitchers. 
but there's a lot of 50 game stretches in a season and you could pick any one and, you know, kind of come to a conclusion. There's no reason that that first 50 game stretch is more likely to reoccur in 2020 than any other one. It's, I think the point is that you're, every player is less assured of hitting their expectation. And so in that case, I, I do agree with Frank that because pitchers in general are less assured of hitting their projections than, than hitters. Um, I think you can make the case for downgrading the aces. Although I will say historically the aces have been by far the best values most consistently at starting pitcher. It's actually kind of stark how much like the top 12 return value, the top 13 through 20 ish return value. And then after that, you know, it's something like most pitchers, like more, more than half of pitchers don't return their draft value between like 20 and 60. It's right. actually kind of stark. Chris, you can't play both sides of the fence. So what are you doing? Uh, are you yeah, targeting high end pitching or yeah, are you, are you waiting on pitching this year? Uh, I'm, always waiting on pitching more than than most people especially on this podcast and you know I did a draft last week where I didn't take a picture in my first 14 picks so you know that that strategy didn't work out as well as I had hoped that time because I just didn't exercise it correctly but I think waiting on starting pitching is always a viable strategy and I think more so now pun pitching in 2020 who cares it's going to be a wild season anyway <laughs> give yourself I mean have confidence in your breakout picks and, and just draft a bunch of Minnesota you, Twins. He, That's what I'll say. You don't have time to pivot from the breakout picks if they don't hit right away, you know? You don't have time to pivot if your high-end starting pitchers don't perform sure, well early but, on in the season like you, last at year. At least you gave yourself a best, your best chance from the get-go. Other, like I, Frank, here's what you need to do. All right? I got an assignment for you. All right, So you got to get the last, like I don't know, five years and look at the first 50 games and see if it's a trend. <laughs> I'm serious, because what happened last year? That just wouldn't tell us. If, you, if, it happens, us. If, if it happens year after year where the hitting is much more predictable, you got to look at hitters and pitchers. Well, if you think the high-end hitters are more predictable in the first 50 games than the high-end pitchers and the stats bear it out year after year after year, I think that's much more worth looking into than just last year The top after 50 games Pitching was wacky. I need more than that. I'll just say this. You don't have to look it up. In a 50-game sample size, hitters are going to be more predictable than pitchers. Then we should pivot because you're way in drafts. Because yeah. you're talking about a 50-game sample size versus an 11- to 12-game sample size. Like, just if nothing else, the math is going to work out. The hitters are going to be more predictable because there's more time for them. And they have more control over, over their production. But if, if you're reducing – because like I said, the, pers- the team that wins is going to have good pitching. If you're yes. reducing your pitching staff to just a dice throw, you're, you're basically reducing the entire season to just a dice throw. And then what is the point of even playing? It's saying that every pitching staff is going to be a dice roll, especially relative to hitters. It's not saying all pitchers will be bad or unpredictable or random. They will be more random and more unpredictable than hitters. But it was always true they were going to be more unpredictable right, but than hitters. That is that is even more true now. And so making more of a point to invest in hitters means you're more likely to have a positive return on investment. 
Frank, you show yes. me how to look it up. I'll do it for you. No, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. No, challenge yeah, accepted, I think, Adam. I think that they could get some interesting data here. And Scott said, what is the point of playing? I feel like that should be the official lo- slogan <laughs> of the 2020 MLB season. <laughs> Uh, 2020. Yeah. What is the point? We'll try and figure That's... that out. We'll talk about it on Monday. I'll, I have a homework assignment from Adam. I will try my best to find the data, but let's wrap it up here, boys. For the for Scott, Adam, and Chris, it was a uh, a great week here. But by the time we come back Monday, the season will already be announced. So, duh. <laughs> Based on my bold prediction, but we might have an emergency pod before that. You never know. Yeah, we really might. All right, guys. I don't know how I'm going to wrap this show up. Good job. <laughs> but this is an, would you call it an Azer outro? Yeah, this is a this is another one. It's It's contagious. What's the point? See you guys next week. Bye-bye.